Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Today, as we read the words of Jesus, these words that we wish he would never have said, give us the faith that we need to trust you. You have proven yourself so trustworthy to us in the past. You have been so faithful to us despite our unfaithfulness. So Father, give us the courage and the faith we need to trust what you have to say. Would we listen to you now as you speak to our minds, to our hearts, to our souls, as we move from the, the words you say from our heads to our hands and to our feet. God, today would you teach us how to love better. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Well, let me uh, also greet you this morning. Glad that you are here with us this morning at Faith Christian. Glad you're tuned in to our online broadcast as well. Thanks for making this a part of your weekend. Uh, so thrilled we get to spend uh, this time together today. Do want to mention to you real quick before we dig into our, uh, our sermon topic this morning. Uh, two weeks from today, uh, we are bringing back our annual Super Bowl party. Uh, that's uh, two weeks from tonight, actually, is when that the Super Bowl party will be. Uh, I like to spell super S-O-U-P-E-R because for me, I, I mean, I like football. I'm not a big NFL fan, so but I am a big food fan. And so uh, we, we like to have a Super Bowl party here at Faith Christian on Super Bowl Sunday. And so we would love for you to be here. Bring your family. Bring a crock pot of your favorite soup. And we'll eat together. We'll share that soup together. We'll uh, put the game on the big screen. We'll have cornhole and ping pong and all kinds of other assorted nonsense happening as well. Uh, but we hope you'll be here. We'll start at 6 o'clock. That's two weeks from tonight on uh, the, the night of the big game as we eat some soup together. Hope that you'll be here and make that a part of your weekend uh, two weeks from today. Um, just as speaking of football, just for a minute, what do, um, what do professional sports, reality TV shows like American Idol or America's Got Talent or this nonsense thing one of my, my honors student was watching last night at her house called Dance Moms? Have you seen this nonsense? These people are, they're the worst people in the world. They're a tripping hazard in hell. That's how bad these people are. All right, that's a whole nother story. All right, um, so a, a, a professional sports, I, I got a little off track there, sorry. I'm a little still miffed at my 18-year-old. All right, um, what am I talking about? All right, professional, what do professional sports, reality TV shows, like especially like talent type shows, and people watching all have in common? Here's the answer. They all reveal, work with me here, they all reveal how much we like to play God. More specifically, reality TV talent shows, people watching, and professional sports reveal to, to us how much we like to be the judge. Even more specifically, these activities reveal to us how much we like to hold people up to a standard that we ourselves would never and could never even try to meet take reality tv shows these reality talent shows we don't watch a lot of these but sometimes they're on my tv and as we watch these things and we listen to someone sing i begin to form my judgment on how this person is singing my opinion on the performer on the tv show however i'm smart enough to know that i don't really know what i'm talking about so i look over to my wife who is a professional musician 
because her opinion counts, right? She knows what she's talking about, so I watch her as we're listening to the person singing so I can decide what we feel about the person singing on the TV. You know how that goes. I want to know what, what we think. I like to hold people up to a standard that I myself could never meet and fortunately will never have to meet. Let's talk about professional sports for a minute. Let's take football, for example. We've got some football games this afternoon, especially when a football is fumbled. I have seen a lot of things in my life, but I don't think I've ever seen grown men and grown women closer to losing their stinking minds as they are when some 25-year-old man gets sandwiched between two gladiator-type warriors and happens to drop the football. I promise you, I promise you, two NFL linebackers line up on me. Not only do I have, not only am I gonna drop the football, I'm probably gonna have to change my pants. You with me? This is a bad day. We like to hold people up to a standard to which we would never be able to meet and thankfully will never have to meet. As for people watching, we'll get back to that one. Today we are in Matthew chapter 7. You want to grab a Bible from the seat in front of you. It'll be on the screen behind me. You've got an app on your phone that's got the Bible on it. Pull that up. Uh, if you don't have that, uh, see me after, after the service. I'll tell you what the great apps to get uh, for that. So you can get that right on your phone. Uh, we are in this sermon series, this first of this year, that we're calling Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. And we're looking at some of these hard things that Jesus said that frankly I wish, and you're probably with me, that I wish Jesus had never said it because they're hard. And they don't always make sense to us. And be, to be honest with you, these statements of Jesus, for a lot of people, a lot of people you know, and maybe even for you at some point in your life, in your journey, follow, trying to follow Jesus, these statements have been the point where you're like, I can't do it. Sorry, Jesus, I just can't do it. And these statements are difficult, and they're not hard to find. So in the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus is going to talk about something that I think every one of us has probably felt. And kind of the question that we're going to get at today is what am I supposed to do with somebody else's sin? What am I supposed to do with somebody else's sin? What are you supposed to do when someone in your life, a church friend, a coworker, one of your kids, what are you supposed to do when you see someone living in a way, making choices that is different than what you think they're supposed to do? Or what you think would be best for them? It's a question we all wrestle with, and it's the question that Jesus deals with in this passage in Matthew chapter 7. This, this little paragraph we're going to read, just like last week, if you are here last week, if not, jump online and, and listen to the last week's message. This little paragraph is another paragraph out of this huge, important sermon on the mount that Jesus preaches in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, his most important teaching. And here's just another paragraph. This idea of what, do we, what are we supposed to do with somebody else's sin. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says in verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. We love that verse. We love that verse. We don't like to live it, but we love that verse because somebody starts judging others like Jesus said. All right, we'll go on. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then Jesus gives this, this metaphor. And it's absurd, I think on purpose, all right? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye 
and pay no attention to the plank. And the word here is like log. Plank coming out of your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I think what Jesus is saying here is fairly simple. It's not easy, but it's fairly simple. And I can sum, up, sum, sum the whole thing up for you in one sentence. I'm going to give you the first part of the sentence, and then we'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll go to the second part of the sentence. All right? That's, that's kind of how I'm going to attack this today. So the first part of the sentence for Jesus, what Jesus is teaching here, is just simply stop judging people. Stop judging people. I think that's pretty clear. Verse 1, do not judge. Stop judging people. That's the first part of the sentence. Now, now we need to pay attention as we kind of dissect this and, and, and pull kind of the onion layers of the onion back a little bit on this. We need to pay attention to what Jesus isn't saying here, because this is important. Jesus is not saying that you can never confront evil. On at least 37 occasions in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus confronted evil, at least 37 times. So it's not, this is not don't help each other live a holy life. This is not that you don't point out to people when they're living in ways that are inappropriate. It's not that you don't try to help someone you love understand that their choices are hurting people or hurting themselves. It's not that you can never say, well, this is right and this is wrong. The issue here is this. Well, if you were here last week, we talked about a group of people in the time, in the first century, in the time of Jesus, a group of people, a Jewish group, that were trying to usher in God's kingdom. And they were trying to bring God's kingdom in. And the way that they thought that they should bring about God's kingdom on earth, specifically to get rid of the Romans, the way they thought they should do that was to take up arms and to fight and to kind of declare war on Rome. And that if they did that, that God would help them and God would then liberate them by their military action. And we called this group the Zealots. If you are here last week, we talked a lot about the Zealots. Again, go back and listen if you weren't here. The zealots were one of these groups that that's how, that was their theory, their philosophy, if you will, of how to bring God's kingdom to earth was we're going to take up arms and kick Rome out. And it, it never worked. There was another group that they thought that the way to bring about God's kingdom, to usher God's kingdom into the world, was that you were supposed to be faithful to God. You were supposed to, to be sure you dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's in your religion. And their idea was we're going to eliminate all of the sin from within the people of God. Their idea of how to usher in the kingdom of God was to get rid of all the sin. We called this group of people Pharisees. So what the Pharisees would do is they would draw up these very strict rules, bunches of these rules. And their goal was if we can keep the rules very, very carefully, very, very specifically, stay right within the border of our rules, then we get to draw these really tight boundaries, these really tight circles around, and we get to decide, because of what you do or what you don't do, we get to decide who gets to be in and who, who's out. Because the people who are in are the people who follow all the rules, and the people who are out are well, just everybody else. So people who have disreputable lives, they're out. People who were seen as unclean because they weren't following the rules or they couldn't follow the rules because they had a disease like leprosy or some other illness, they're out. They can't be in because they don't fit our idea of what we think the kingdom of God needs to be. 
So this is, this is what they did. So the Pharisees were try, constantly, constantly trying to decide who's in and who's out. And that's the thing that Jesus is talking about. The basic problem attitude is that you don't belong, but I do. We belong, you don't. I'm good enough, you're not good enough. And that was the basic idea. You know, th this still shows up in our lives and still shows up in our churches, doesn't it? This is what we call, I think I'm making up a word here, but the word I'm going to use is judgmentalism. You're constantly noticing what other people are doing wrong. You're constantly concerning yourself with helping someone else fix their life and making them do what you think is right so they could be in according to your rule. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, and he says to us church people, stop, stop it. Stop judging people. And Jesus gives us some reasons why we need to stop judging people. The first reason is, we'll kind of work through this passage backwards a little bit. The first reason we need to stop doing this is because you're not God. That's pretty easy, isn't it? Stop judging people, Jesus says, because you're not God. Jesus uses a word there in verse 5. He says, you hypocrite. Now, for us, we hear the word hypocrite. It's a churchy word, isn't it? It's a church word. So kind of a religious word. But in the time of Jesus, this was a common word. The word hypocrite was taken, taken from the realm of theater, drama, plays. It was their word for an actor or an actress, a person who played a part. The word literally means to wear a mask, which in ancient culture theater, the actors would wear a mask to help the audience determine which character they were. So to put on a mask, you were put on part of your character, part of your costume, and Jesus is, <clears throat> Jesus is saying to them, you hypocrites, stop playing a part. Stop trying to be something that you're not. Stop playing a role. So <clears throat> what part is it that Jesus is telling us to stop playing? Well, let's think about that a minute. Who is it that gets to judge without being judged in return. Sure sounds like God to me, right? So when Jesus says, you hypocrite, what he's saying is, stop putting on the mask, stop playing as if you were God. I, I think this is primal sin. I think this is the number one temptation for humans has always been to be God or to try to be God or to play God. Ever since the beginning of time, go back and read Genesis chapter, the first five chapters of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, <clears throat> mankind has been prey to this temptation since the very beginning. Remember the story of Adam and Eve and the apple? The temptation was not, look at this delicious piece of fruit, I want you to eat it. The temptation was, if you eat this, you'll become like God. That was the temptation. It's a primal temptation. Let me go back to where we started with. How many of you are people watchers? You love to watch people. I am. I'll admit it. I am a people watcher. I am for watching people. Plant me on a bench somewhere in a park or a mall or an airport, a theme park. It's better than TV. Just watching Walmart, whatever. Just watching the people go by, watching the crazy go by. That's, that's what I love to do it. So I'm not telling you because I don't want to point my fingers at me. I'm not telling you to stop being a people watcher. But I came across something a while ago that was very insightful for me and a little bit convicting. 
this guy writing this article, he was talking about how he's a people watcher too, and he was, he was sitting in one of those you know, outdoor shopping plazas with just hundreds of people walking around doing their thing. He's waiting on his family. They're all in a store. He's just sitting outside in a beautiful day watching the people go by. And as he, as he was doing this, he stopped and he noticed what he was doing. He noticed that he himself was noticing these things. And so he asked himself, why? Why am I doing this? What is it that I get from doing this? What, what, what about me watching these people brings me such entertainment? And he realized that what he was doing, he recognized that what, what he, what really what he was doing was he was playing the judge as the people went about their business, as he's watching the people. Well, that person's too skinny. <laughs> that person's too fat. That outfit looks like garbage. What were they? Did they look in the mirror before they walked out the house? What? Oh, that person, that looks like a nice person. Oh, that guy's rude. I don't like him. That guy's obviously successful. That guy is a failure. We've all done this, right? And so this fellow who wrote this article, he realized even there in his own mind that what he was doing was he liked to play God. I think we all do that. So let's do a little audience participation. I want you to say these words, but just say, I am not God. Say it with me. I am not God. Now, I'm going to list out a few things, and when I finish each one of these little statements, I want you to respond to me, a little call and response thing. I want you to respond to me with the words, I am not God. All right, ready? Let's try the first one. At my job, I am not God. In my home, with my friends. I am not God. With my family. All right, I'm going to tick you off this time. Ready? In my marriage, I am not God. When my spouse and I disagree, I am not God. When I'm driving my car. <laughs> In the classroom, whether you're the student or the teacher, I am not God. Anywhere else in life where you might be tempted to play God, say it with me, I am not God. It is important for us to recognize that this is not only obviously true, but this should make a difference in the way we treat people. Jesus says, stop judging people. Why? Because you're not God. Here's the second reason I think Jesus tells us to stop judging people. Because you're no better. Stop judging people because you are no better. L listen again to verses 3 and 4. This is where Jesus uses this absurd analogy. I, honestly, it's, uh, it's one of the things I love about Jesus. It's sarcasm, and I love sarcasm. All right, so this is, this is, he's being sarcastic. He's being absurd to make his point. Listen to these verses again. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the two-by-four hanging out of your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get that little bitty speck of dust out of your eye when all the time there's a two-by-four in your own eye? Here's why. Because you are no better. What I find interesting about this is that our world will tell us, in our culture today, will tell us, do not judge people because everyone is equally good. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion Everyone gets to succeed. No child left behind, whatever you want to say it. But what Jesus seems to be saying here is, don't judge because we're all screwed up. We're all messed up. Everyone's opinion's a little off. 
Everyone's theory is a little off. Everyone's actions are a little off. Jesus is saying, don't judge because everyone is equally as bad. There's a difference there in the way we approach this. Jesus is saying that the reason you shouldn't try to be a judge is because you probably do the same thing or something a little worse. Uh, I, I, again, let's, I, I forgot to write down who wrote this. This is a blog I read several years ago. The, the blog writer wrote this. When I have a judgmental thought and I ask myself why, it always traces back to me. We are all imperfect people, and that is a hard notion to accept in ourselves, but it's easy to see in others. This blog writer goes on. When I see a girl wearing overtly revealing clothing or behaving in, a, in an overtly sexual manner, I usually think, tramp. But what really bothers me about this girl is, haven't I wanted attention in the past? Haven't I wanted to feel attractive? Haven't I tried to make others love me, sometimes in unhealthy ways? Maybe what really bothers me about her is that I see something of myself in her, some quality that I suppress and am ashamed of. We can all find someone to judge, someone where we might have a, 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 a speck of sawdust in our eye, but they've got a plank in theirs. We may be kind of bad, but they're definitely worse. We get really, really good at this. Matter of fact, Jesus tells a story about this later in the Gospels. He tells a story about two men who went up to the temple to pray. One of the men was very well-liked and very well-respected in the community, a leader in, in the community. The other was a social outcast, a pariah, a, a tax collector, a traitor to the people. And as Jesus tells the story, as the story goes that Jesus tells, the tax collector, the, the outsider, the low life, kneels down before the altar of God in the temple and begins to pray. He beats his chest in anguish, and he says over and over again, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And then the well-respected leader, the Pharisee, as Jesus calls him, kneels down before the altar and he prays loud enough for everyone to hear lord i thank you that i'm not like the tax collector and jesus says which of these two men went home justified before god that day who is it for you lord i thank you that i'm not like that that homosexual friend that that, that person who had the abortion the guy with the drinking problem. That mom I know with the prescription pill problem. God, I thank you that I'm not like that Democrat, that Republican, that terrorist, that politician. God, I thank you I'm not like all those judgmental people at the church. God, I... See, we all find someone to judge. And the problem with drawing these tight lines, like the Pharisees like to drawing these tight lines between good and evil, of who's in and who's out, is that we always, 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 we always put ourselves on which side of the line? The good side, right? When we draw the lines, we always put on our, ourselves on the good side. We draw these tight lines, the who's in, the who's out, between what we think is good and bad, and we put ourselves on the good side. And I think if we could just get, if we just get everyone else on the good side, we could just get everyone else in on the good side, and we get rid of everybody else, we could start all over, we could make a great world, we could make a great church. The problem is this, listen to me, church. 
The problem is that line between good and evil does not run between you and me. The line between good and evil runs right through me. Because I'm good and I'm evil. There's both in me. It runs through, not between us. It runs through every single one of us. I'm not just a good guy. I'm a bad guy too. You're not just a good person. You've got that side of you too. You're not just good. There's also evil in every one of us. And that's why we can't fight evil this way. It just won't work because we ourselves cannot be trusted to make a good world. So again, audience participation. Everybody say it with me. I am no better. Say it with me. I am no better. Just like the first time. Ready? At my job, I am no better. In my home, with my friends, I am no better. In my marriage, when my spouse and I disagree, again, on the highway, in the car, I am no better. I am. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. In the classroom, I am no better. One more time. Anywhere else in life, I am no better. Here's the third reason I think Jesus says stop judging. Because you're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap what you sow. Go back and li- listen again to verses 1 and 2. He starts, do not judge or you too will be judged. And there's a weird, weird sentence. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What I find interesting here is this. Let, let that verse stay up there for a minute for me, Doug. <clears throat> I've read a ton of commentaries, ton of scholars on this verse. Here's what I found out about this verse. Nobody really knows what Jesus is saying here. Nobody knows. Is he talking about God judging people? Or is he talking about the people who are being judged judging people? Nobody knows. I think... I think Jesus made this unclear on purpose. I think it's intentionally unclear because Jesus isn't trying to clarify us who's going to get us back. I don't think that's the point of this passage. I think Jesus is just telling us that if you judge people, if you live by this law of separating the good from the bad so that you can be on the good side, it's not going to work out so well for you whether you're an individual, whether we're talking about your family, whether we're talking about us as a church, whether we're talking about a a, a subculture within our country, if you live by this law of judgment, Jesus is saying you're going to receive retribution. So Jesus is saying stop judging people, but that's not the end of the sentence. Stop judging people. That's not all Jesus is trying to say. It's not just about judging people. Here's the rest of the, of the sentence, the sermon in a nutshell. Stop judging people so that you can love them well. You can't do both, Jesus says. And Jesus says, always choose love. Listen again, or look again at verse 5. It's not that the speck in your brother's eye is not removed. It's not that the sin is not dealt with. It's that it's dealt with in a certain way, in love. You see, the funny thing about judgmentalism and judging is that so often we just we try to convince ourselves, well, I, 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 I'm just trying to be hopeful. 
It's tough love, right? I'm trying to be helpful. Well, listen, not only is that an ineffective method because you're ne never, parents, you know this already, you're never going to control people into being who you want them to be, but the motivation is probably wrong too because we get really good at deceiving ourselves. We say that we're just trying to help people, but really we just want everything to be just how we want it to be because we want to be God. So let's look once more at this statement of Jesus and see if we can't pull out some things that are very practical, things that you can put into practice in your home this afternoon, in your job this week, the things we can put together, uh, put, put into practice in our church going forward. If we're not going to be the judge, how, what are we going to be? How are we going to be? How do we love better? Here's the first one. I think if we're going to do this. We have to be hospitable. Have to be hospitable. That just means this. Just means we welcome everybody. We welcome other people. Now remember here, back in the first century context, when Jesus is saying these words for the first time, the problem here is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are drawing these tight lines, trying to decide who's in and who's out. That's not how we're supposed to operate. For us. Instead of the tight lines, the box around who's in and who's out, for us, it's more like a circle. And at the middle of the circle is Jesus. And what we're concerned about is that you, no matter where you are right now in your life, that you are moving towards Jesus. You may be here, you may be here, you may be out in the parking lot somewhere, but that you're moving towards Jesus. And we're not necessarily going to worry ourselves with where we're going to draw a line. Our concern is that we, together, you, no matter where you are in life, that you are moving towards Jesus. And those of us who are a little closer, we are welcoming those who are moving towards Jesus. And we are, as the wall says, when you walk out the building today, we are helping people find and follow Jesus. Now, let's be honest. Let's call it what it is. The church, is specifically the church in the United States right now, has a really bad track record with this of drawing tight lines between who's in and who's out. If you're a homosexual, you can't be a part of the group, but don't you dare talk about our greed. If you've had an abortion, you can't be a part of the group, but don't talk about our judgmentalism. Interesting thing is, Jesus talked about two of those four things. You probably know which ones they are. Our mindset here needs to be this. If I can be here, you can be here. I can be here, you can be here. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 15. He says, accept one another, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Do you want to know how Christ accepted me as a sinful person? That's how Jesus accepted Larry. As a sinful, someone who was selfish, someone who's prideful, Someone who sometimes doesn't do the right things. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I don't want to do the right thing. But yet Jesus accepted me. And he's been working on my life ever since, drawing me closer to him ever since. And so if I can be here, you can be here. That's the way we operate. And so what that means is that you invite people and that you accept people, especially maybe outsiders. And those who our society says, you're not good enough. You don't fit in. We accept them into our homes. We accept them into our circles. We accept them into our church. We are a hospitable people 
with open arms. That's how we love better. Here's the second way. Not only should we be hospitable, we should also be honest. We've got to tell the truth. I noticed something about this passage that that I kind of missed before. I think this is really interesting to me. This, This weird little metaphor, sarcastic thing that Jesus does about the speck in your brother's eye and the two by four in your own eye. The weird thing he does there, I realized, <clears throat> I realized this wasn't just theoretical for Jesus. When Jesus grew up, you, you, some of you know this, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter. So when you're a son of a carpenter, guess what you learn how to do from a very young age? You also are a carpenter. And so Jesus understood the idea of having a little something, they didn't have safety goggles back then. He knew what it was like to have sawdust in his eye. And you know what about, have you ever had, have you ever, any of you ever had the dust in your eye? You've been doing some drywall, you've been doing some carpentry, you went to the beach and the sand blew up. You've got something in your eye. A little, it's a little speck of something in your eye. Do you need, think about it, do you need anyone to tell you that you have something in your eye? No, you know it immediately, don't you? That sawdust, that speck of sand, that little bitty grain of sand, you know it's in your eye, you know it's there. You don't need someone to tell you it's there. And when there is sin in your life, you know. You don't need someone else to come around and tell you, yeah, this is what you're doing, it's wrong. But what Jesus is saying is that it's not enough to know. He's saying you've got to let it out. Jesus is assuming that the only way that the speck is going to be removed and the only way the speck can be removed is if I go to one of you and I say, i got this thing in my eye. Can you, can you help me get this thing out of my eye? I think Jesus is saying to to us, those of us who have a speck in our eye, those of us who have sin in our lives, to be honest and tell the truth and confess our own sins. James 5 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. And I can tell you from experience, if someone in your family, someone in your small group, someone in your close circle of, of friends, if someone in that group says to you, hey, I, I gotta talk to you about this. This is something that's going on in my life. I'm struggling with this. Can you help me with this? If someone will be that honest within that group, I promise you it will change the dynamic of that group in ways you never, never would have guessed. And you will experience, all of you will experience God's presence and power and peace in a way that you never thought possible. So be honest. Last one, be helpful. Be helpful. Take the speck out of someone else's eye. When someone says, listen, I, I need some help. I've got this sin in my life. I'm going to need some help. Help them. Help them. Sometimes being helpful does mean you've got to have a little confrontation. We've got to speak some hard truth sometimes. Sometimes it means saying, hey, th- th- this thing in your life, you know it's there, you know it's in your life. It's time to do something about it. I'm, I'm going to be here with you, but we've got to take care of this. Sometimes that's what needs to happen. But most of the time, most of the time being helpful means being encouraging. When someone comes and says, hey, here's what's going on, I need your help, we help them, we do whatever it takes. I think Paul gives us some great pictures to help us understand what this looks like in Galatians 6. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if, if, if another Christian is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's troubles and problems, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. We started this morning by asking the question, what what are we supposed to do about other people's sins? But I think Jesus in this passage kind of turns the question back on us. I think Jesus is saying to us, you're missing the point. 
The question is, it's your own sin. And I think the lesson from this passage is that until you are ready to come face to face with your own sin, you're not ready to help someone else deal with theirs. Let me pray for you, and if our community team will go ahead and, and take their place, get ready to serve us. Let's pray together. God, these words of Jesus are not easy. They're hard for us to understand. They're hard for us to deal with. So like we prayed at the beginning this morning, we ask that you would give us faith to trust what you say. You would give us the courage to put these words into practice, to move them out of just the theoretical in our heads, but into the practical in our hands and feet of our daily lives, our jobs, our workplaces, and our homes. So God, give us faith to trust what you say. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.